Mac Power Users, Episode 367, Workflows with Michael Hyatt. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing today, Katie Floyd? I'm great, David. I am super excited about this workflow shows. I think it's been about 300 episodes in the making, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> For a long time now, we have wanted to have today's guest. Welcome to the show, Michael Hyatt. Thanks so much, guys. I'm a fan of your show, so it's an honor to be on this one. Excellent. Well, Michael is the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, author of eight books, two of which are New York Times bestsellers. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And uh, a podcaster and a geek like the rest of us. And uh, we've we've all been, I know Katie and I enjoy listening to your show. And, um, and I understand you listen to us once in a while, too. Absolutely. I love to geek out on your show. So I find out the latest and greatest stuff that's happening in the world of Mac uh, listening to your show. Yeah, well, yeah, we excellent. appreciate that for sure. And over at michaelhyatt.com, we want to make sure that we we send people over to your side. I, I would say blog, but you've kind of re, re, rejiggered it re, recently so that your blog is no longer your, your landing page. But uh, you talk quite a bit about personal development, leadership, productivity, um, all those types of things. But basically how to how to get your message out there for people. Yeah, a little bit of all that. Uh, leadership is kind of the big umbrella and personal development falls under that and productivity and public influence. So, yeah, it's uh, it's all there. Well, you mentioned that you were a bit of a geek, so that might be a good place to start. I know that you are a Mac geek. So uh, tell us a little bit about your your current setup that you're running. Yeah, well, I've actually got several different setups, but my main one that I'm on right now is my iMac. So I've got a full-blown, tricked-out iMac with everything I could get, you know, special order uh, kind of thing. And then on each side, I have uh, two Thunderbolt displays. And so there's three displays altogether. I affectionately refer to this as the bridge, you know, as in the Starship <laughs> yeah. Enterprise. No, I've never heard of that. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> And then I, um, then I have another setup that's in my new live streaming uh, studio that has three computers. That has a Mac Mini that I use for a comments uh, computer. And then I have a teleprompter on a MacBook Air and then a MacBook Pro, which is also my traveling computer. And I also use it for uh, slideshows and that kind of thing when I'm live streaming. Michael, just stepping back for a minute, um, I, I use a big 27-inch iMac, too. I don't think we've ever had a guest that's running the 27 iMac plus two additional external monitors. Um, how are you workflowing that? I mean, what what's the use for three screens? Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes I wonder myself, <laughs> but uh, but it looks cool. No, but apart from yeah. that, I've got <laughs> okay. my... I'll, I'll grant you that. <laughs> I've got my calendar on the left screen. So fantastical is what I run. And that's running all the time because I need reference to my calendar. And in the, on the right-hand monitor, I've got things like uh, Nosby, which is my task manager. And then I've got messages up. And then in the middle is whatever I'm currently working on. So I usually have Chrome running with uh, more tabs than I should and whatever project I'm writing or working on at the moment. Yeah, so, so you're basically like a lot of us are using the virtual screens where you swipe back and forth, but you've got permanent locations where you, you always know if I need to set a calendar date, just look to my left and I know I've got what I need right there. Yep, absolutely. And and I often hide everything. Like if I'm writing, I only want to see the screen on which I'm writing. 
everything else yeah. gets hidden. But uh, but when I'm just kind of working, going through my administrative tasks and everything, it's helpful to have those other things up. Yeah, we did that calendar show recently. One of the things I forgot to mention is as much as I like the Fantastical um, quick entry bar in the menu bar, if you're in a full screen app, it doesn't work. You got to get off the full screen app. So I can see why having an additional screen with stuff like calendar data would be of help. Yeah, it's really convenient. I mean, it just sits over there. It's kind of, you know, inobtrusive. And I don't actually add stuff to my calendar. I let my assistant do that because typically I gunk it up if I do it. So I've kind of got an agreement with her that uh, anything that goes on my calendar, she's going to put on there. I have to actually request things of her to get on my own calendar. All right. So and you mentioned this live streaming setup. You were telling us a little bit in the pre-show that you you just had a live streaming setup installed in your house. And I, I know you do uh, podcasting and um, now are doing some video stuff and are, are doing video courses and things like that. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the that type of work that you do and, and why you decided to put this big setup in. Well, I got involved in live streaming probably about a year and a half ago when I when Periscope was the big thing. And so I decided to do an experiment, and I love experiments. And I said, for 30 days, I'm going to do a Periscope broadcast every day for 30 days. And so I did that for 30 days. And then my team said, you're overwhelming people. Uh, you need to dial it back. But it was still a great experiment. And I fell in love with live streaming. I think it made me better at uh, podcasting. It made me better at shooting video on my feet. And we shoot a ton of video. And I just felt more comfortable in front of the camera. So if for no other value, that was great. Well, then Facebook Live came online and I instantly saw the potential. So we started using it in conjunction with uh, promotions and so forth. And so we said, you know, with the right setup, with today's technology, we could simultaneously broadcast to Facebook Live, to YouTube and to Periscope. And the only way I could do that, I could use a a setup like Wirecast. And that's actually where I I started. And that's a good uh, system made by the same people that make ScreenFlow. But I wanted to kind of go to the next level. So I stumbled upon this company, LivestreamingPros.com, and they basically showed me this framework for what they call the four levels of live streaming. And the big level is the level of a custom build where they actually come in and build the studio uh, in your home or your office. And I live in this big Victorian home where we don't have any kids at home anymore. And so we got a lot of spare bedrooms. So I just took one of the bedrooms that had 10 foot ceilings and I said, guys, I want you to deck this out. So we did custom trussing. We've got three cameras in there, Sony 4K cameras, switching board, live stream box and stand up desk and uh, microphones and lights and all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's fun. I'm just getting into it. In fact, I'm going to do it for the first time in early March, but I'm starting a new uh, weekly live show where I'm going to interview a different author every week. Now, are you going to have them in the studio with you, or is it going to be done remotely? No, it's going to be done remotely. And that's that's part of what intrigued me about this system. You know, typically in Facebook Live, just natively, without using Wirecast or something else, you can't do side-by-side interviews. You know, you, you just can't just, yeah. you can't bring somebody else in. Now, there's a lot of browser-based Facebook Live solutions like uh, BlueJeans and others that allow you to do that. But I wanted my own branding. So what we'll do is we'll bring the other guest in via Zoom, and then we bring that Zoom into the live box, and they get their own. I mean, this just looks like side-by-side side like you would see on any network TV show. Yeah, so it's just you're building your own pipes, in essence. Yeah, in essence, we are. Yep. Now, can I back up for a second? Because you, I mean, you really took off as an author, and and the guy I'm talking to right now is running a network, not just uh, writing books. Um <laughs> Now, now, how did you get 
from one place to the next. I mean, that you have really transformed yourself in a lot of ways. Um, what got you interested in, in pushing to this direction, going beyond, you know, working in your text editor? Well, it's kind of funny because initially um, a friend came to me after Platform was published and hit the New York Times list. And he said, he said, you're wearing yourself out traveling around the comp- country, speaking and trying to do consulting and you don't scale. So you need to start a membership site, which became Platform University. And so we ended up shooting a lot of video for Platform University, which honestly, at the beginning, I absolutely hated it. I was very self-conscious. If it were left to me, if I didn't have a producer, I would just record things, you know, ad infinitum till uh, just in the pursuit of perfection. But fortunately, I had a a producer that just said, I mean, he just like bossed me around. He said, "Okay, do this do that. And he wouldn't let me obsess. And we just kept moving. So over time, I got more comfortable with it. And I really fell in love with video production. And podcasting was the same kind of thing. I hated it at first, but then I fell in love with it. And the truth is writing, I hated it at first, but then I fell in love with it, which I think there's some things that they're hard to love until you get a, a certain level of proficiency. And then once you do that, then you could evaluate whether or not it's something you want to do on an ongoing basis. But for me, I, that's really all I do now. I, I create content, I deliver content, or I lead my team. One of those three things. Yeah, I, I almost like I want to almost use the word communicator. There's, there's a lot of people out there like you who, who just have something in them they need to get out. And years ago, the way you did that was you wrote a book and you published a book. But now all of a sudden, the democratization of all this technology. Yeah, you did. And the other thing that I think is important too, and I mean, Seth Godin may be in the first person uh, to talk about it, but it used to be that you needed permission. You know, even to get published, you needed a publisher to give you the nod and give you a book contract. And the same thing was true for video. I mean, you couldn't produce video in your home. I mean, for crying out loud, it would cost, you know, a million dollars to build a studio. Nobody could afford to do that. So you had to get somebody to create a show for you. And, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of work. You had to get somebody's permission to do that. Today, it's true that we could all become kind of a channel or networks unto ourselves because the tools are available and they're not as expensive as they used to be. I mean, the podcast, your podcast is a great example. Well, well tell us a little bit then. So you're a Mac guy and, and you you are producing all this stuff. What are um, some of the key tools you're using to make that happen? Well, it's funny because when we installed the studio, I had to go through the drill of setting up these three new computers. And so I thought, okay, what are the basic things and in what order? So we use Google Drive extensively. So that kind of becomes what we call our digital assets repository. So that's available to my entire team. So I have 20 full-time employees and a bunch of contractors. And so anything that we want to share goes in that digital uh, asset repository. And that's Google Drive. Now, is your team based on Google Apps, or I guess now it's G Suite? Yeah, it is. Yep. Okay. Yep. We probably don't use it as much as we should, but we definitely use the Google Drive aspect. And we also use uh, Google Documents, uh, too. Now, how did, how did you choose Google over uh, Dropbox and Box and some of the other competitors? I don't know. You know, and, and the truth is, sometimes I think I'd like to go back to Dropbox. I think there's some things that are easier, and I think some of the new business tools are really cool now, especially the way you can see everything that's on the cloud but you don't have to download everything to your local computer that's on the cloud. You can do that with Selective Sync, obviously with Google. And we use something called InSync to do that so that it's constantly syncing between my local drive and what's in the cloud. But we've had some problems with that. And so I kind of sometimes fantasize about moving back to uh, Dropbox. But that's like the first tool I get set up. One password is what we use for password management. We used LastPass in the past. 
But now we use one password for teams and we love that. That's worked great for us as a team. Then in addition to that, the first three tools that I always install, uh, Text Expander, and I'm syncing that with all my devices. So I had the same shortcuts available on every device. And then Keyboard Maestro, which I absolutely love. And then Hazel, which I bought your course and I'm kind of working through that, but I, I have way underexploited that. I mean, I've got, I've got a long ways to go to really use that to its max. Uh, it's, a, it's a great file management tool. It, it, I always tell people Hazel it allows you to not learn AppleScript because like 80% of what I do with AppleScript, I can do with Hazel. So that's, that's pretty nice. Well, the, yeah. the other app I use too, I forgot to mention is Alfred. Now, yeah. th- the truth is there's a lot of overlap between these tools. And I'm just too lazy. I could probably use Alfred for the same things I use Keyboard Maestro for, but I'm too lazy to learn the new interface or new commands and all that. So I just keep using what I'm using. Well, we hear from folks all the time asking about that. They're like, well, if I can get this app to do this and this, why don't I just get one? And my feeling is like, they do have different fortes, these apps. And and if there's something you do with one that's easier than the other, um, number one, I love software developers, so I'd love to see them get supported. And the second thing is, they're not that expensive. So go ahead and, and just get them both. That's okay. Uh, you have permission, you know. Oh, I feel better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, now with Text Expander, are you stretching that out over the team? I know that's like a new feature of the cloud kind of base team features for that. Or is it just for you? Yeah, it's really just for me. Um, I've demonstrated it to the team and a couple of them, their heads exploded. But, um, you know, like I've got all my shortcuts for all my products, for different events, for uh, stuff, you know, I mean, you know how it works, but any, anything that I, I find myself typing repetitively, you know, I just create a shortcut and I, I tend to use the semicolon as the delimiter that initiates that. That's what I do. Really good. Mm-hmm. I use this, I, whatever it is, semicolon is, is my delimiter, which is a, a little troublesome on iOS, but I deal with it because I don't want to change all of my snippets. I went to X for that reason. I just used X, but I'm getting ready to like, I'm bringing some people and Mike, Michael and Katie and uh, a lot of the listeners out there have inspired me to try in 2017 to get some of my own support staff. And I'm trying to figure that out. I have this very well-known text expander series in my head. Now, am I going to have to change those or create a dictionary or something for the people that are going to help me out? Because a lot of my email, uh, you know, customer support stuff gets handled through text expander, but. I think you'll find that, uh, at least for me, I was handling all that stuff initially too. And then the thing about it is it makes it very easy to transition to something, uh, something else. So, yeah, that's what I realized is I, I, I've become such a perfectionist that it's stopping me from producing, if that makes sense. That's why you need a team because your team won't let you get stuck and they'll keep you operating, you know, really in your unique ability or your strength zone. So you don't have to do everything and other people can do it better, faster. In fact, I'm constantly shocked at how my team over delivers from, from my expectations. Like we just recently did a live event here in Nashville. We did a uh, free to focus intensive workshop. So we had about a hundred people in the, in the workshop and I didn't see the venue. I didn't see the workbook until I showed up the day. I mean, I, all my focus was on the preparation, doing the slides and all that stuff. Even there I had help and it blew me away. I mean, I looked at the workbook and I went, this is amazing. And the venue was beautiful. And that's, that's the value of having a team. And it allows you to really uh, focus on the things where you add the most value and delegate the rest. 
how did you make that step? Uh, you know, because I know that's something that I'm struggling with right now, that if I I want to take on a lot more, or re- really, I'm kind of at that point, I know in my personal business where I'd kind of like to grow, but to grow much more, I'm, I, I can't do it all anymore. And, you know, Dave and I have looked at, and I know we're going to talk about a little later, virtual assistants and those types of things, um, you know, taking the step to one is, 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 is probably the hardest step, but you've taken the step to one and now to 20. So you've got 20, 20 members of, of your team. Um, you know, how, how was that decision tree process of expanding and, and going from there? Well, it's funny because I, when I left Thomas Nelson publishers, I had 650 employees. I had two full-time assistants and then I stepped into the world where I didn't have anybody. I didn't know where the FedEx box was. I didn't really know how you book travel. You know, it was just a ton of stuff I didn't know. And I started getting frustrated with all that stuff. And I thought, okay, look, you know, I hate to take on the overhead of hiring somebody, but I'm drowning. And so I said, I'm going to stick my toe in the water. And so I hired a virtual assistant for five hours a week. And I said, look, if you could just book my travel, if you could do calendar management and maybe help me with my inbox a little bit, I, I, I can't imagine that, that you could do that in five hours a week, but maybe you can. So let's see what happens. Well, the first thing I, I found is that I reclaimed five hours a week to work on stuff that would actually make money. So, you know, those five hours a week that I was doing all that calendar management and everything else, I I basically had a very, very expensive, mediocre assistant. And that was me. (laughs) I get it. I get it. And so, (laughs) and so I, those five hours after two weeks went to 10 hours and after a month went to 20 hours. And then every time I've added somebody else to the team, and I'm very careful about it, because I, you know, we manage cash flow very carefully. I don't ever want to go red or borrow money or any of that. But every time I've added somebody to the team, my income has gone up. Yeah, it's a, I'm just like you. I'm very early in the process, but I'm about to hire somebody, and I'm thinking I'm I've been making a list. What I what I've been doing. I think we're getting off the script here a little bit. We'll get back to the Mac in a second, gang. But the uh, is I started using a timer. I've got a timer that I run, and it's not like for lawyers' time when they do stuff for clients. But I've been timing everything. I from Basically, when I wake up till I go to bed, uh, how much time do I spend answering email about, you know, book books that, you know, the download didn't work? How much time, you know, I'm being very uh, careful about measuring all this time. And I'm starting to realize there's about 12 hours in my week I could hand off very easily right now. What if you think about it? You know, I, I don't know what your hourly rate is. I don't need to know. But let's just assume for the sake of round numbers that it's $100 an hour. And, you know, would you pay an assistant $100 an hour? to do all that stuff that you probably don't even like to do anyway, especially the repetitive stuff. Well, the answer to that would be absolutely not. That'd be stupid. And if you could free yourself up to bill more hours or to work on projects that you really love, you know, what's that worth? Well, I, I think one of the, the, and I'm, I'm getting us back on the outline, David, I promise. I, I think one of the hesitations to that has always been, well, nobody can do it as well as I do. I've got all these fancy, uh, these power user tricks and tools. I can use Text Expander and Hazel and Keyboard Maestro and all of those. And I can do in, in, in six hours what it would take somebody else 18. Ha, ha, ha. Um, so there, there is always that learning curve, which then leads me to ask you, this is, this is my very roundabout way of trying to get us back on the outline, by the way. Um, t- tell us a little bit about how, how you're using some of these tools uh, for the stuff that you don't delegate back to your assistant um, to get some of your work done. Like what are, what are some of your favorite, you know, power user tricks uh, that you can share with our MPU listeners for some of those things? And Okay. So one of my favorite things, and I do this in Keyboard Maestro, I use it to set up working environments. So one of the things I like to do first thing in the morning when I get up is have kind of me time where I'm doing some reading and meditation and journaling. 
And so I've got a program that runs at four o'clock every morning before I'm up and it basically shuts down everything on my Mac and it only opens a couple of programs. And so I'm not tempted to get sucked into email. I'm not tempted to get sucked into, you know, some other task because my task manager isn't even up. These things are staring at me every morning, first thing. So I, I never miss. I'm always setting myself up for a productive day because I only have the applications open that are going to set, set me up for that productive day. I have another one, uh, another automated one that I can invoke with a keystroke that basically sets up my writing environment. So the tools when I'm writing, now I have to have a browser open because I do research on the internet. And then it depends on what um, particular program I'm using to write. But usually for me, everything starts in workflowy. And I just am a hierarchical thinker. I've never gotten into um, mind maps or other tools like that. So I always start in workflowy. And then once I'm done with workflowy, then it gets exported from there to something else, else like uh, Scrivener or Google Docs or uh, something else. Usually, for the most part, I only take it through Workflowy and then I hand it off to somebody on my, my team. I want to take a moment to thank our longtime friends over at Smile for their continued support of Mac Power users. And today I want to talk about Text Expander. Now, you know that I am a huge fan of Text Expander. I don't even know how I could use a computer without Text Expander. Text Expander helps me get my work done because it can quickly take small snippets that I type into my keyboard and expand them into much larger segments of text. I use Text Expander so often that my brain has started thinking in Text Expander snippets, and it has saved me probably weeks now at this point. And I'm just one person. But did you know that you can now take all of the power of Text Expander and you can expand on that by using Text Expander for Teams? Text Expander for Teams is a productivity multiplier. It is a shared knowledge base from which your entire team can communicate quickly and accurately. Now think about how Text Expander can come in handy for just one individual and think about how effective your entire team could become if you could multiply the power of Text Expander across your entire team. Imagine your entire team having common replies, but that maybe instead of worded by you are worded by some of your best writers. And imagine if they're immediately accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. And imagine if they were also available on the same platform that your team works on, Mac, iOS, and now Windows. Text Expander helps customer service teams provide better, faster, and more accurate service. In fact, some of my favorite teams are currently using Text Expander to multiply their productivity. Now, of course, you know the folks at Smile are doing it, and they offer some of the best tech support around. But other businesses like 1Password, WordPress, Shopify, You Need a Budget, and more. If you want to hear about how some of these teams are using Text Expander to enhance their productivity, Go over to TextExpander.com and you can learn about how TextExpander is being used in the customer service industry and to learn the TextExpander story of Mike Jandrew, who is senior technical support over at Desk.com. You can also read about how the people over at WordPress have adopted TextExpander in a multi-part series about how TextExpander is working for their company. And if TextExpander is working for companies like this... I'm sure it can work for your company as well. So head over to textexpander.com slash MPU to learn more about TextExpander and to start your free trial today. Thanks, Smile, for your continued support of the show. 
so we've talked about a little bit about how you set up your your work environment. Um, and one of the big things you talked about is only having in front of you what you need to have in front of you. And you talk a lot about eliminating distractions in your podcast and those types of things um, and, and how those things can can help save time. Uh, you, you tend to kind of go to some extreme from from what I've heard. Well, I don't know if it's extreme, but um, yeah, I, th- I think the thing that keeps us from getting our work done and the reason why the average worker in the U.S. is working like 72 hours a week is because they don't manage distractions, interruptions, and clutter. Those are the three, I call them the unholy trinity, but those are like the three things that threaten to get us off track and keep us from being productive. You know, clutter is a pretty easy one. I mean, once you decide to get organized, both digitally and in your physical space, you know, you can let that rest for a while. And of course, you know, the law of entropy says things get cluttered over time, but you kind of can take care of that. Interruptions, those could be managed. Those are other people encroaching on your time. And those could be managed usually with conversations and with some other tools, but basically setting expectations for your team so that they know you've got time where you're sequestered away and you're really focused on the work at hand. But the biggest challenge is distractions because those originate internally. And those are the things that keep us from being focused. So, you know, it's just, as it turns out, it's hard for me. It's hard to write. It's hard to create. It's hard to produce content. Much easier to slip over to Facebook and get a quick dopamine hit um, and just kind of catch up on the news or read news. Like I was a total news junkie during the election. Now, not so much. But yeah. and, and you think that's just going to take a minute. I'm just going to slip into Twitter for a minute or just hop over to Facebook for a minute. And you look up and a half hours pass by. Yeah, exactly. And so that can that thing that could suck the life out of you. And so one of the ways, ways I started to get control of that was using an app called Freedom. And you can find them at freedom.to. I don't have any relationship with them other than I love the product. And it's just gotten better over time. But the thing that I love about it is it basically allows you to shut off the parts of the internet that you don't need and to sync it across all your devices so you can't cheat. So like one of the things I got pretty adept at is I'd shut down everything on my main computer, my iMac, and I'd be writing along in Workflow or Scrivener or something. And then I'd say, well, I don't have uh, Facebook up, but you know what? It's right here on my phone. And so with Freedom, you can completely shut that out. Uh, So I shut off we use Slack. So I shut that off. I shut off mail. I shut off Facebook, Twitter, anything like that. I still am able to do research, but I can't be tempted to just go over there and get a quick hit when I really need to be focused on getting some work done. And do you set specific times for this? So I'm going to, I'm going to turn off all of these distractions for an hour or two hours, or I'm going to turn them off from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. How do you set it up? Well, first of all, I kind of consider freedom training wheels for focus. So I don't actually use it anymore. I'm pretty pretty trained on this and have disciplined myself to stay focused. But uh, when I was doing it, I would typically run a 55-minute session. You know, some people like running 20-minute sessions or 25-minute, but I would run a 55-minute session and then take a five-minute break. And pretty much I do that just naturally anyway. If you stay hydrated- It's so kind of like a, a Pomodoro technique. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If you, stay, if you stay sufficiently hydrated, the breaks, the breaks take care of themselves, if you know what I mean. Yeah, or even just like, it sounds silly, but I have a small water bottle when I work and I, you know, after about an hour or so it's empty. So I get up, stretch my legs, go refill it. When I had a big one, I'd, I'd find myself sitting there for three hours working and, um, uh, silly as that sounds, it, it helps. Yeah, it really does. The, the other thing I would add to the, you know, talking about this timing thing I'm obsessed with lately is that really helps too. When you're running a timer all the time and you're not, um, 
self-correcting, you know, but the, the fact that you're running a timer may make you change your habits, but after a while you won't, uh, you will see how much time you spent in Facebook during the day and you'll realize what a time suck some of these things can do be. Well, the thing about it too is, you know, Parkinson's law is very real and works. Time expands to the time allotted for it. And, you know, back when I was a busy CEO and I've got five daughters and at one time all of them were living at home. And so busy family life, busy job. And I was trying to blog in the margins of my life. And typically I did that on Saturday morning for three hours. And I had to talk, knock out three to five uh, blog posts in three hours. I mean, I was unbelievably efficient, totally focused, not distracted. That was the only time I had. And if I didn't get it done, nothing got posted. But then <laughs> when I left the corporate world, suddenly now I had all the time in the world. So those, you know, to write three blog posts would sometimes take me two days because I didn't have a hard boundary. So one of the things I do now is, and I call this an activation trigger, but I try to, I try to do things that don't take my own willpower. So for example, at 6 p.m. sharp, I want to be out of the office and I want to be at home. But at 6 p.m., automatically all the lights in my office go out. It's just a vis- visual clue that the workday is done. How are you doing that? Um, I'm using um, an automated system with, uh, what's, the, what's the Amazon thing called? Alexa? Alexa, uh, oh. Echo. Oops. Yeah. yeah the we Echo. just activated. We, 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 can't, we can't say that word on podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's what I use. And it just automatically is set to go off at 6 p.m. Probably works better if you, you have an office that's either a dedicated room or, or not in your home. Otherwise, you can uh, you can irritate other people at your house. So, David, that might not be a good tip for you. I don't know. I irritate other people anyway. So it's okay. <laughs> there you go. It's, time. it's really time to leave. The lights have gone out. So. Well, it, it is funny, but you do need these little hacks, I think, in your life to kind of give yourself that that push, because I, I just think to make to be productive, it does take a little sense of urgency, and it is very easy to fall out of that. Well, the thing about a hard stop at 6 p.m. is that I find myself racing the clock to get done, and I'm more productive as a result, because kind of my old work style is I'd come home, and I'd know I could eat dinner, and then I could, you know, open my laptop and so my new rule is a policy I have, I don't, I don't have any laptop in the house. You know, I have one in the studio. I've got this in my office, the iMac, but I don't keep a laptop. You know, to me, the evenings and the weekends for me are times when I engage with the people I love the most and in projects I really love. And I don't allow devices into the, to the house at night or on the weekends. Yeah. You know, it's kind of that thing. You've never more productive than when you're like working a half day trying to get out for something or or when it's Friday and you've got a bunch of products, projects to figure out. For some reason, Fridays are always my most productive day. And I think it's because you've set that deadline. I've got to get this thing done before the end of the week or I've got to get this done. So that kind of leads me into my next thing. You know, David and I just had a calendar show. It came out uh, last week, two weeks ago. I don't know. A couple of weeks ago now, because I think we're pre-recording this. And um, one of the, the t- tricks that I have learned from you is to think a little bit about optimizing your week. And I kind of fell into it because I had a a week a couple of weeks ago that for whatever reason was just super productive. And I kind of looked back upon it and said, what made this week work? And if I can figure out what that is and replicate it, um, can I be more productive every other week at work? Um, So tell us a little bit about how you manage your time. Yeah, it really begins with something I call the ideal week. And it's a method of time blocking where you say, okay, if I had 100% control over my schedule, what would be the optimal way to set up my week? And so one of the things I do a lot of is batching and even mega batching. So like, for example, next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 
all I will be doing is producing video for Platform University. And so in the course of about uh, three days, we'll produce all the video for about a half year's worth of content. And so that's very efficient. And, you know, like when I'm writing, same thing, you know, I've got days that are blocked out. And so what you do is you set up this ideal week and you say, okay, again, if I could just control 100% of everything that happens, what would it look like? So for me, that means I'm going to get up at five in the morning. I'm going to have sort of some personal time. Um, I get into the office at about nine. By that time, I've read, I've meditated, I've exercised, I've had breakfast, you know, I've showered, dressed, all that stuff. Then I hit the ground running. So then from nine to six is work time. And then in the evenings is usually family or uh, friend time. But I only take appointments on Monday and Friday. So Monday is when I do internal meetings with my team. And Friday Friday is when I do external meetings. Now, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I call this my on-stage time or front-stage time, where I'm actually doing what I get paid to do. Like, beat on this podcast, when we're recording this, this is on a Thursday, um, I mean, I'm not getting paid for this, but this is one of the things that I do. I'm delivering content. Um, and so that's a, a front stage activity. And then there's the backstage activities. But what a lot of people don't pay attention to because they don't have any is offstage activities. You know, when are we off stage anymore? And I have this view of productivity is that it should lead to freedom, not more work. And yet for all the devices, for all the software, for all the stuff that we have, People are busier than ever. And you just go, what's the point? So I think unless we have a clear vision of where the productivity leads, then we get trapped in that thing where we're just working all the time and we have no time for the things that really make life rich and meaningful. So to me, it starts with the calendar. That has been a theme on our show, I believe, for the last year or so, really, where folks are listening and they're getting really good at these tools. They're getting great at Text Expander or uh, the task management app of their choice and they're getting good at calendars and they're writing in saying uh, the problem is I still don't have enough time and whenever you dig deeper with these emails you usually find out what the trouble is is because a computer can track a thousand tasks and projects they're taking on a thousand tasks or projects and and I really try to get across you still have to make that decision about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do yeah you do and in some ways, the computers get in the way because they may, they fool you into thinking, well, I can track a thousand projects, so then I should be able to physically do a thousand projects. But there aren't enough hours in a day. Well, and I think that we all think that if we just had the right app, you know, maybe I'm on Evernote. And I think if I just move over to OneNote or Bear or whatever it is out there, then I'll be that much more productive, incrementally more productive. And then we eat up all of our time testing new apps. And believe me, I love this as much as the next guy. But it just eats into all that marginal time. So there's no margin left in our lives. And we wonder why we're exhausted, why we're unhealthy, why our relationships are going south. And it's because we're not being more productive to be free and to focus on what matters most. We're being more productive for the sake of being more productive. And it's a vicious circle. Now, we were talking earlier about how you have certain days where you meet people on days where you you have your head down. Um, There's a lot of folks listening to the show who don't have as much control over their schedule as you do. Um, maybe they work for themselves, but they've got a, a type of business where there's a lot of emergencies, or maybe they work for somebody else where stuff are thrown at them. Uh, what are some good steps people like that can take to get a little more control and get a little bit more of a predictable schedule? Yeah, I think you really have to begin with self-assessment and say, realistically, how much autonomy do I have over my calendar? Because somewhere between I don't have any control 
and I've got complete control is where most of us live. And so just because you don't have total control doesn't mean you can't exercise some personal agency and take control of the time that you have control over. And so even when I was, you know, in the corporate world working for somebody else, I realized I had a lot more discretion than I thought. And even, for example, meetings, which are the, you know, uh, the thing that everybody hates in the corporate world. And I hated them, too. But you think, well, I, that, that, that meeting just has to happen. I can't challenge that meeting. And yet I found that oftentimes when I was the guy that spoke up and said, you know, I know why we start, started this meeting originally, but it feels like it's kind of outlived its usefulness. Or maybe we've got this meeting because nobody wants to take responsibility to make the decision and we're trying to just kind of pawn it off on everybody. What if we gave it to somebody and they made the decision? But whatever it is, but just to challenge the status quo. And I found that a lot of meetings go away when you're willing to do that. And I think that's, frankly, one of the attributes of leadership is courage and being able to challenge the status quo and to bring a better idea. Sometimes you get to be the voice for the people that don't want to speak up, but everybody's feeling it. You know, it's a waste of time. Yeah, that's true. What what about, um, you mentioned scheduling appointments and that you don't do any of that anymore. So it would seem like you don't have any control over your schedule because you're not the person who's putting the stuff on your calendar. So how do you, how do you corral that? Do you, do you work with your assistant and, and, and say, I mean, obviously they probably know your preferences. They know that uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are your, is your front stage time and Monday and Friday are your, your backstage time and those types of things. But um, how, how does that work both logistically and, and practically? It works terrific because one of the keys to greater productivity and being more efficient in your work is saying no to all the opportunities that are really distractions. And at a certain level, when you get successful, the biggest threat is not failure. The biggest threat is opportunities and distractions that are not core to your basic business. And I have a hard time saying, no, I am a recovering people pleaser. And so my assistants, um, and I actually have two, but Susie's my primary one. She is great at saying no. In fact, she's able to say no in such a way that you thank her. You know, she's just able to say, and she, and it's usually some variation of this, and this is something I, I sort of templated to begin with and then handed off to her, but to basically begin with an affirmation, you know, thanks for asking Michael to do that. You know, that's the kind of thing that he would love to do if he could. And then to say no, where you establish a firm boundary and say, unfortunately, due to his other commitments, he's unable to accept this invitation. And then to, to end with an affirmation, you know, whether it's pointing somebody to additional resources or just, you know, hoping that I can get together with them in the future, whatever it is, but it's kind of that yes, no, yes formula. And one of the things I've gotten consistently from people when we do that is they're just like, thanks for getting back to me. (laughs) Because the alternative is that sometimes we don't want to say no. So what we end up doing is avoiding, you know, it's a strategy of avoidance. We just let that email sit in our inbox and we don't answer it because we don't really know what to say. And then maybe the person pings us again. And then we move from a strategy of um, avoidance to a strategy of being annoyed and we might snap at them. And then maybe if they come back to us again, then we move to accommodation and we just agree to do what we didn't want to do. And then we find our, our calendar populated with all these things. And if you've ever looked, done this where you get to the week and you go, how in the world did I agree to that? Why is that on my calendar? That has nothing to do with what I'm trying to build or what I'm trying to create or what's in my future. And I just, I guess I agreed because I got caught and 
accepted that appointment myself. So an assistant could really, really help manage that, especially if they know your ideal week and what the template looks like. And initially, you're going to have to go back and forth a lot, but eventually they could be highly efficient. Now, software-wise, uh, is is it just the assistant is getting the request and, and making the decision on the scheduling appointments, or do they check with you? Yeah, so here's how that works. There are certain things that they have um, total authority over that they can put on my calendar. They know that it's related to my work, but all the requests, both internal and external, have to go through Suzy. And we're using uh, Google Calendar as kind of our central hub for all these calendar appointments. And so um, we also have a meeting with my executive support staff. So it'd be Susie and Jim and myself. We meet on Mondays at 11 o'clock right before lunch. And we just kind of go over the calendar for the next couple of weeks. Part of it is that they want to know um, what they can help with. They want to know if I've got everything I need for upcoming meetings, upcoming appointments, so forth. And they're also running by things that might be in question, like if it's a speaking request or something or a podcast interview request. They may not know. Usually they'll do the background research. Usually they know on podcasts better than I know because they do research on things like, you know, what's the traffic? What's the ranking? You know, this is a waste of time or this is not a waste of time. I mean, it sounds kind of cold and impersonal, but it really helps me um, invest my energy where I can get the best return for it. Yeah. Are they, are they at your business or are they, are they remote assistants? Yeah. So we have, as I mentioned earlier, 20 people, they're actual employees and they are all remote. We do not have a centralized office, although probably 17 of the 20 work in the greater Nashville area where we all live. But this is kind of cool. We have just leased uh, 2,500 square feet in Nashville that we're going to use as our own private co-working space. So we're setting it up where anybody in the team can come work there, but nobody's required to work there. We'll have a full-time receptionist and barista, great coffee bar, and just an environment where we can have team meetings or individual meetings, or if you just want to kind of go and socialize like you might do at a Starbucks or someplace, you can do it there in our own space. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, we're excited about it. Oh, yeah, I would be excited about it. I uh, had an opportunity to tour the Evernote offices. I know you're a big Evernote fan. I don't know if you've ever been to the Evernote I offices. No. Oh, oh, yeah. You should, you should get them to give you the tour. Um, but they've, they've got a nice receptionist and barista bar right up front and, uh, very, very cool. I got to see that. Oh, super, super cool. Super cool. Well, while you're trying to figure out how to get into the Evernote office space, uh, we're going to take a quick break for our next sponsor and then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about task management. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pixelmator, the award-winning graphics tool that everyone can use. These days, computers can do some amazing things with graphics and photos. Unfortunately, however, for most users, that is just hypothetical. The built-in tools on your Mac, iPad, and iPhone aren't quite good enough to really stretch the limits. And it's not worth it to most folks to spend money on a subscription-based graphics tool that ends up costing a lot of money and is, frankly, pretty difficult to use. That's where Pixelmator comes in. Pixelmator takes full advantage of the latest Mac technologies. It gives you speedy, powerful tools that let you touch up and enhance images, draw or paint, apply dazzling effects, or create advanced compositions. Amazingly simple. Once your images are ready, Pixelmator can share them. You can put them in iCloud, or you can send them to email or print them, or you can save them to any of the popular image formats right from inside the application. With Pixelmator, you get a pixel-accurate collection of selection tools that allow you to quickly and easily select any part of an image. 
If you like Instant Alpha and the Apple Preview application, you are going to love Pixelmator. It brings image selection to a whole new level. You'll be amazed at how accurate this application can be at removing a background from an image. They've also got a great set of retouching tools. You can correct wrinkles and repair scratches. You can make flaws vanish from your photos or remove or rearrange objects in a composition. They also have some powerful tools to blur and sharpen or lighten or darken an image or even specific areas within an image. Pixelmator lets you get rid of the red eye effect with just one click. And you can combine all these different tools and effects for an endless number of ways to refine your images. Best of all, all of these tools are accessible. You don't have to be an image specialist to make this application work. Anybody can learn it, and if you need any help, just go to the pixelmator.com website, and they've got a whole set of video tutorials there to walk you through some of the most commonly used tools. The Pixelmator team is always updating the application, so whatever new fancy feature Apple comes out with for the Mac, iPad, or iPhone, you can bet that Pixelmator will support it. As a good example, they already support the touch bar on the new MacBook Pros and tabs. Make your images awesome today. Head over to pixelmator.com and check it out and let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users. So um, you're using Nosby, which I think I'm pronouncing correctly, to do a lot of your uh, task management. That is that is an app that we've, I don't think, talked a whole lot about on on Mac Power users. So, give us a, a little bit of an intro and tell us why you picked that over over some of the other applications that are out there and exactly what it does. Yeah, so I've been using it for more than ten years. The reason I know that is because they just sent me a, a well wish email where they said, "Hey, you've been with us for ten years." Um, and I've I've got to know the um, CEO who's from Poland, and he's been very responsive in terms of developing things that I like to see and others like to see. But I love it. I just think it's one of those tools that gets better uh, over time. It basically allows you to implement some version of GTD if you want to. Um, I do kind of a modified version of that. But, you know, it does all the basic things that you would expect. I like the project management inside of it because, you you know, you typically put tasks inside the, the project. You can use context uh, if you want, though I don't use those as much. Uh, but... Yeah, it's and it and it syncs across all your devices. Got a great mobile version, which was not always true, but the most recent versions of it are are terrific. Works on a lot of different platforms. Um, it will work with Teams, but my team doesn't use it. I've got a bunch of my people that are on Asana, but I don't use Asana. I tried it, didn't really like it, and I'm still sticking with uh, Nosby. Well, one of the questions that a lot of people have brought up, and maybe it's in the context of using one task management app and their team uses another or their office uses another is if if you're using a personal task manager, whether it's paper, whether it's Nosby, whether it's OmniFocus or one of those, and that's not what your team is using, how do you stay on top of what you're doing, what they're doing, um, and, and checking in with people? Do you have a place where you share that stuff or what is your workflow for that? Yeah, it's it's not really so much something I have to do, but my team does, and that's why they use Asana. But one of the things that's a little bit mind-blowing for people, but this comes out of my free-to-focus course, is I really only have three tasks that I set out to do every day. So I call those my big three. And I'd have to give you a little bit of a background here. Um, I have something that I teach called the Freedom Compass. And it's basically a two-by-two two matrix that measures on one axis your passion or your love for something, and then on the other axis your proficiency 
for something. And so we rotated that 45 degrees so that it looks like a compass. And true north is what we call the desire zone. This is where you love this task or this opportunity or this project, and you're really good at it. And that's where you want to be spending 90% of your time. Straight south from there, the worst possible place to be is in your drudgery zone. These are the tasks that you hate and you're not very good at. And those are the first things to eliminate or to automate or to delegate. You should be spending zero time in the drudgery zone. Then there, this is east on the um, compass, but east is what we call the disinterest zone. And these are things that you're good at, but you don't get any joy out of them. So like for me, accounting, I'm really good at accounting. I don't have any formal background, but running a uh, publicly held company and all that, I got really good at it. I'm, I, I understand it, all that. I just don't take any joy in it and other people can do it uh, better and enjoy it. So I have a CFO that does that. Then opposite of that, on the west side of the compass um, is what we call the distraction zone. And this is where you go to escape. These are the things you may love to do, but you're not particularly good at them or they don't add any value to your business. And so what I've tried to do and what we encourage people to do in that course is to get rid of everything that's either in the drudgery zone, the distraction zone, or the disinterest zone and get really focused on your desire zone. That's where you're going to make the biggest contribution. That's where you're going to move the needle in your business and in your own personal income. And that's what's going to have uh, an impact in the world. So I only have three tasks and they're all in the desire zone every day. You know, and I'm just thinking about that. How many of us spend 90, you know, flip that equation and spend 90% of our time in the drudgery zone? Oh, I know. And the cool thing, Katie, is that things that are drudgery for you are somebody else's desires on activities. Like, let me give you an example. Um, my wife hates to cook. And she felt guilty about it for years. You know, we got five kids. She felt like she ought to be good at it, but she does not enjoy it. And so a couple of years ago, we hired a house manager that handles that part of our lives as well. And it's somebody that loves cooking. You know, they, they live to cook. So for that person, it's in their desire zone. For Gail, for my wife, it's in the drudgery zone. Same thing for calendar management. There's people out there, believe it or not, or expense reports. We've got a lady on our team in our accounting department who loves expense reports. I mean, just shoot me. I'd rather do anything than an expense report. But for her, that's her desire zone. That's, yeah, find those people who compliment your, I guess it's like finding any kind of partner, whether it's a spouse or a business partner or uh, an associate or any of those, find somebody who compliments your weaknesses and uh, you can make a great team. You really can. And if you're a geek out there listening to this and you're thinking, hey, that might be helpful to me, what are some good ways that we could, we could start, you know, quantifying and figuring out where those areas are in our lives? Well, you know, David, you were talking about how you're noting your time on all your tasks. You know, maybe, I don't know how you're doing that if you're doing it in a Google Sheets or something else, but, you know, it might be cool to put a column and then kind of go back and reflect upon, did I have, did I love doing that? Did I have any passion? Am I particularly good at that? And put it in one of those zones. And again, it's the desire zone, the distraction zone, the drudgery zone, and the, and the disinterest zone. So just, just put those activities, that, what zone they're in, And then maybe assess how much of your time is in each one of those zones. And the cool thing about this is you can begin to experience enormous relief by first eliminating the things that are in your drudgery zone. That should be like priority number one. If you can't eliminate it, maybe you could automate it. And if you can't automate it, maybe you could delegate it. And that's kind of the hierarchy I look at. 
Then the next thing I want to move to are the things that are in the disinterest zone and do the same thing there. Is there anything here that I could eliminate? Can I automate it? Can I delegate it? And then move to the distraction zone. The reason why I leave the distraction zone till last is because sometimes that's actually the development zone. You you love it, but you're not yet good at it. But with a little practice, you could get uh, good at it and it can move into your desire zone. Yeah. So for David, you're going to make a grid and you're going to get like some R2-D2 stickers and maybe some Boba Fett stickers and um, maybe maybe Jabba. I don't know. We'll pick, we'll, you got to pick one that represents each one and you know, right, ca- categorize them you, you accordingly. You know me so well. Yeah. <laughs> you know me so well. If it's got R2-D2 hey, I, next to it, it's it's in your desire zone. Uh, Michael, um, you know, I'm I'm impressed that you're running 20 people through this operation. Um, so I understand that your tasks are kind of to yourself. I, I kind of feel the same way. I've never been big on collaboration for tasks. I feel like whoever I'm working with, they can use whatever works for them. But I, I may have a task of just keeping an eye on what they're doing, but I don't need to be in the weeds with them. But the um, but but in general, how do you communicate with twenty people, none of which are at the you know office every day or at least yet? I mean, you must have some communication uh, issues. You know, we use Slack, and Slack is amazing. Slack not only is a great communication tool, but it's a tool that will create culture. You know, it keeps you connected in a fun kind of way. You know, we have, for example, a channel called Cute Kids. And so people post pictures of their kids that are just kind of fun, especially after they've come back for the weekend. And we have other uh, channel, we have a tech channel that has nothing to do with our business, but we're different ones of us are trying out software or we make new finds and we share those with the group. Uh, And then, of course, we have all the, you know, the usual channels that are basically built around different products or different initiatives and, and so forth. But we found that that is huge. Now, we also get together once a month. So that's typically a cocktail party at my house. Uh, we even fly in the three or so people that we have that are out of state. And we just spend time together and enjoying one another. But we feel like we've got the best of all possible worlds. And honestly, uh, uh, Jason Freed was a huge inspiration uh, to us with what he did with Basecamp. Yeah, that was a great tool. Well, it still is a great tool. Uh, it, it is remarkable to me the number of folks we talk to on this show that have gravitated towards Slack as a as a way to keep things running. Well, we tried some of the other tools. You know, we kind of thought, well, maybe this new Facebook business, Facebook work, whatever they call it, would work. So we tried that for a few days. Nah, too busy, too cumbersome. Um, we tried Microsoft Teams, and that felt like a Microsoft product. I don't know what else to say. But uh, we just, we weren't crazy about that. And by the way, I think Microsoft has come a long way in the last couple of years, but that tool just also felt like it got in the way. The thing about Slack that we love is that it just disappears. You know, we occasionally have trouble finding stuff and we're not crazy about their implementation of threads. We still think they've got some work to do, but still overall, I don't think I could be running the business I'm running today without Slack. I think one of the keys of Slack is the whimsy in it, the design, even the name. Um, it just it, it makes it a little bit more fun to be in there and working is hard. So if you can add a little bit of fun, that makes a difference. Yeah. And just the emoji, you know, like you're saying, the whimsy that's built into it is really fun. I, I'm actually considering setting up a Slack channel for my law practice, but it's um, there's some challenges to that. But the uh, 
But it, it, it does seem to me like a lot of people are using it. So so you've got Slack to kind of hold everybody together. Are you doing project management inside Slack too with individual channels or are you using anything else? Um, um, kind of. You know, the team is using Asana. To be honest, I'm not really aware of what they're doing with it, but I know they're using it to manage, especially on the marketing side. But uh, I, I should also say we use Slack with some customer groups too. So we have a couple of uh, kind of our highest level clients that are paying us a lot of money every year. We have Slack teams for each of those. And so I'm ducking in there once a day and just answering questions or doing some coaching. And a couple of our team members are doing that too. So it's, it doesn't have to just be internal. It's a great tool for external stuff like that too. Now, but, and those are separate teams, correct? It's not like part of your company's team. It's, it's actually separate and distinct. Separate team. I've even got one uh, with Gail and our household manager. And so just the three of us are in a team and everything pertaining to the house or personal business goes in there. Yeah. And that's ultimately why I think I'm probably not going to do it with the law practices. I would need to make a separate team for each client because I can't make one team. Then I, then anybody could go in the general room and talk. And I don't think people necessarily want everybody to know who their lawyer is or, or talk to other clients of the lawyer. So I think you might check that David, because I'm not, I'm not sure that's the case. We have several contractors with us and we sequester them to certain channels. I, I think they do have availability on the water cooler channel. But I'll have to check. That. Yeah, you have to check yeah. it. Well, it, it is it is impressive, though. And, and I do feel like this is the future. I mean, a lot of people are going to be working virtually and uh, employers that can figure out how to productively and make it fun for employees uh, and also hold everything together are going to be ahead of their competition. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think whenever you can give people freedom and autonomy, you know, Daniel Pink wrote about that in the book Drive. And he said, one of the three factors that's really important in people being motivated at work and staying connected with you and retaining your best employees is they need to have some level of reasonable autonomy over their uh, work and over their schedules. And our people, you know, if they want to work in their yoga pants, go for it. Nobody cares. Uh, with the new working space that we're creating, co-working space, if they want to, you know, put on some jeans and come in and associate with their colleagues, they can do that uh, as well. We also use Zoom heavily. So we do a lot of video conferencing. I mean, almost uh, every day, several times a day. Are those scheduled or are they um, uh, spontaneous or? Some of them are, but like today, my daughter, Megan, who's our COO, she said, Hey dad, I just got a, I got a breakthrough on an idea I want to share with you. Do you got a minute for a, for a video conference? And in that case I said, yeah, but let's not use Zoom. Let's try the video conferencing that's built into Slack. I just would like to experiment with it. It was actually pretty good. We have um, we've dealt with several software um, companies over the years where we've had guests and they a lot of them have a scheduled uh, video conference call like once a week. And that's in essence their meeting. Yeah, it's it's a great way to do it. I we've done announcements like that where we've gotten everybody on. Uh, we definitely do it with teams. You know, I do I do it with the executive support staff on uh, Monday. We use it for external customers. Also, I do a lot of coaching via Zoom. Um, Zoom is kind of our go-to video conferencing tool. A lot of companies, like I'm sure when you were back with a big publishing company, uh, those things drive on meetings and minutes and memorandum. Uh, the, you know, it's some way to document where the ball is and where the ball's going. Uh, with something more virtual like your company, have you changed the way you do those types of um, tracking? Well, the only thing we track, here's, here's the kind of minutes that aren't important following a meeting is who said what, when, and then maybe in a legal context, I don't know, I don't know your business, but I think for most of us that are just working in companies and trying to get stuff done, 
Um, what we try to record, and we're pretty diligent about this, is the commitments and the decisions we made. But we don't need to know how we got to that. You know, we don't need to know all the back and forth. All we need to know is these were the decisions we made and here were the commitments that we made. So next time we get together, we can start there. You know, you said you're going to do this by this date. How's that going? And from what I'm hearing, it's not important how that's going to get done. You just have to know that when the meeting's over, you know, John is responsible for getting donuts at the next meeting and Mary's responsible for booking the room, right? And and maybe maybe you will do it in Nosby and they will do it in Asana or some other app, but th- it's just the results. Yeah, and where we where we tend to store anything like that, if it's meeting notes, like we just recently did some strategic planning, and so the notes for that go into Evernote, and then we just uh, share that link with who whoever needs it. So Evernote is kind of, and you could use Google Docs for that, and it might actually be a better tool, but we tend to use Evernote for it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. I really believe that no matter what you're doing these days, you probably need a website. Maybe you just had a baby and you want to share some great pictures and stories, or maybe you just came up with the latest and greatest product that's going to turn the world on its head. Without a website, you're not going to be able to pull that off, and Squarespace lets you easily create that website for your next big idea. With Squarespace, you can get a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. We hear all the time from listeners that have created Squarespace websites. Some of them have online stores. Some of them are photographers with portfolios. Others are just coming up with an idea for a blog, and they want some place to write. The point is, no matter what your need is, Squarespace can solve the problem for you. It's an all-in-one platform that makes it super easy to get yourself on the internet. Squarespace not only helps you create your website, they also host it. Having the same company do both of those tasks is a real benefit to you as a user. I use Squarespace with Mac Sparky, and occasionally I will get linked by a big website or a new site, and suddenly I'll have a bunch of traffic thrown at me. Squarespace can handle that. Before, when I was trying to do separate hosting and website development, that would always bring my website down. Not anymore. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't need to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They also let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name when you build your website. And don't forget, they have these award-winning templates that are beautifully designed to show off your great ideas. The cool thing about Squarespace websites is they don't look like Squarespace websites. They just look like cool websites. They all look different because the templates allow you to make it your own. Using Squarespace is almost liberating. You don't need to hire somebody to make a beautiful website. And whether you're selling cakes or computers, it can take care of you. Did I mention they have commerce built in? Go check it out. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can get a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Thank you, Squarespace, for sponsoring the show. One of the things I want to talk to you about is virtual assistants. This is an area that I know you are a big proponent of. David and I have have kicked around this quite a bit. Neither of us have quite pulled the trigger, but 
I'm real close. So um, you've talked a little bit about what your virtual assistants do for you. I was wondering if for people who are thinking about virtual assistants, um, a little bit about the process. When is one right? How do you know you're ready for a virtual assistant? Yeah, I think when you find yourself doing tasks that honestly, if you were free from those tasks, you could be doing something that would actually make uh, make money or drive results for your business. And you know, I'll give an example from our, um, I, I had this mastermind with a bunch of folks and one of the guys was really struggling kind of like you are Katie with whether or not to hire a virtual assistant. And he, he really needed somebody for web development. He said, you know, I'm kind of a programmer and I kind of like doing it, but it takes an inordinate amount of time. And I know that if I was freed up from that, I could do the things that actually bring money into my business. And so one of the guys in the, in the mastermind said, how much would you guess that you make an hour roughly? And he said, well, honestly, quite a bit. He said, probably 250 an hour. And so he said, okay, well, let me ask you this question. Would you pay a web developer that was mediocre $250 an hour? And the guy was like, no way. And he said, we already are. And it's you. And it's you. And, and the lights went on and he said, wow. Okay. So I mean, immediately he hired somebody to do web development. He got you know somebody for like $75 an hour. So that freed him up. But, but a lot of times we're, we're, we don't like to do this because we wonder, well, what am I going to do with my time then? But if you could do more of the things, and you guys both probably know the things that really drive revenue in your own business, if you could be freed up from doing the other things and suspend for a moment the limiting belief that nobody can do it as well as you. What if there are people that not only could do it as well as you, but could do it better than you? That's when you start building a team that is highly productive and highly profitable. So I, I, I did sus- suspend that belief, especially when I moved into my own business. I mean, I was just drowning and I said, I've got to have somebody because I know I'm not going to make any money for processing email, booking my own travel and working on my calendar. And those were kind of the, the first three things that I, I gave up, but now it's all kinds of stuff. Like um, I, I even saw this in, in podcast production. So when I started podcasting, I did everything soup to nuts. I did the show prep. I did the editing, the recording, the posting on Libsyn, you know, everything, promotion, everything. And I said, uh, actually, about 20% of this I like. Everything else I hate. Or somebody else could do better than I, I do it. So I got focused on just delivering the podcast. I even have somebody on my team now, on my content team, that does the show prep. So... I'll do the show. I mean, I'll go back through it. I'll make sure I own it. I do the same thing with my writing, with blog posts. And so, for example, I found that the first 10% of a blog post is really important for me to be involved in. I'll usually come up with the anecdote of the story. I'll come up with the outline, the basic premise of the blog post. Then I turn it over to my content team. They go out, do all the research, find the relevant links, uh, flesh it out and then give it back to me. And so then I do the last 10% and that's where I can add some value. Make sure that it's in my voice, although even that you can train, but I put it in in my voice, make sure that it all fits and then I approve it and it's off to the races. So I'm spending 20% that actually drives 80% of the result. That makes sense? Yeah, it is, but boy, it's a leap. <laughs> it's hard for me. And you yeah. can start small. That's That's the thing I would say to you. If you get the right person, and I think a lot of people, they think, where am I going to find these people? You know, there are probably people that are in your own tribe that would love to serve you in this way, 
But I think it has to start with this. You have to get absolutely crystal clear on a job description. What do you want them to do? And this can be fluid and it can grow over time. But start with that and then we post it online. So if you go to michaelhyatt.com slash careers, we think of it as a, as a sales page, a landing page where we're trying to convince people to come work for us. So we talk about all the benefits, you know, the mission of the company, the vision of the company and all that. And then at the very bottom, these are the positions that are open and this is what the job description is. And we test people too. You know, we want to make sure that we're not, and this is so dangerous, you do not want to hire somebody like you. Because then you just have double the same skills, but none of the stuff you're missing. And so we make sure that we're hiring to a job spec with skills and strengths that are needed in that job spec. And the place where I started, I went to a um, third-party firm. Uh, they were called EA Help at the time. Now they're, they've rebranded. They're called Belay. And the thing that they took out of it, they did all the recruiting. They made sure the person was vetted, could be trusted, criminal background check, all the training, made sure that they could actually do what they said they could do, which is a huge problem. And, um, and if that person wasn't satisfactory, and I've had nothing but good results from them, but if that person wasn't satisfactory, they end up finding you somebody and handling kind of the ugly part of that, you know, whether it's getting rid of that person or moving them to somebody else or just making sure that the fit works. And that's how I started five hours a week. It's, it is probably more expensive than I could have done it if I had find, found my own person and hired my own person and, and, and I did all the training myself. But to me, it was worth a premium to have all that done for me and to get up to speed. Because again, I was drowning and I just wanted to see what was possible if I could get those drudgery zone tasks uh, off my schedule and off my task list. Yeah, and I think that training part is another thing to think about while you're going through this. Like I'm, I've got someone helping me with some of the video production stuff now. And what I'm doing is every time I do a training session with that person is I screen flow the whole thing. So while we're talking, I'm showing her what to do. We're recording the screen. And then afterwards, the video's there and she can go back and look at it. And if she doesn't do this for another three months, she's going to forget it all anyway. So she can go back, watch the video again. And I don't have to. In theory, I could even use that with another person that would come in to do the same job in the future. We do the same thing. We use a... Um app online called Sweet Process. And it's basically a workflow documentation tool. And it allows you to embed video and to build things out in very specific steps. And I did all that when I was first starting. Like when I was doing all my podcasts, I documented every single thing. It was a really long workflow. You know, here are the passwords. Here's how you upload it to this and all that. And that made it very easy to hand off. Well, it wasn't long. And, and this is always true if you get the right person where they completely improve on the workflow and they say, wow, this is redundant. Why are we doing this step? Well, I don't know. That's just how I've always done it. And they make it yeah. better. And when you document it, you can do that. You can make it better. So are you still using Sweet Process? We are. Yep. We use it team-wide. I'm not familiar with that. Is it, is it like a, uh, did they serve the data over the web or how do um, yeah, you it's add all, content? And it's all browser supported. And I think it's just sweetprocess.com. It's beautiful for starters. And I find that the aesthetic is really important in the software that we use. We want to work with stuff that's beautiful. It's one of the reasons I like Slack. But uh, Sweet Process is beautiful. And you essentially, you create this document that has a series of checkpoints. You can embed videos, screenshots, audio, whatever you want, or just text. Have bulleted items. You can have enumerated items. 
And then when you get done with it, you can choose how you want to share it. You can either make it public so that anybody could view it, or you can just get a link so that anybody who has the link can view it. Um, or you can give your whole team access to it. So there's a lot of different ways you can use it. Like when I'm doing my podcast, I have a, um, when I have a guest on, I've got a sweet process link that I can send to a podcast guest that walks them through how they need to set up for the podcast. We should do that, David. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just think, and you were talking about some very high end stuff, Michael, but I think for a lot of folks out there, myself included, we don't even have to work that hard at it. We've got low hanging fruit in our lives that we could offload that doesn't involve having someone else write things for us. And uh, there's plenty of things that we could do to make time. So uh, that's a, an ongoing theme and, and you're a real good kick in the pants for us. Good. Uh, I, I know you guys are big users of Evernote too. And uh, it, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, what what is it about Evernote that's working for you? Well, I started back in, I think 2008. So early on, I don't know. When did they come into existence? They were er they were early, David, like right when we were starting Mac power users. So, yeah, I think 2007, 2008 was about that time. Yeah, I was I was right there at the beginning and loved it. And we use it for a lot of things. I mean, I would say the biggest use I have personally is web clipping. So when I'm doing research, I'm clipping stuff into it. And I love that feature of Evernote. Um, There's parts of it that, you know, frankly, frustrate me from time to time. You know, the searching, it seems like the syntax is, you know, you really got to know the syntax to get out of it what you need. But um, I use it for any kind of paper that ordinarily I would put into a file cabinet. You know, I scan that and that goes into Evernote, whether it's receipts or um, manuals. If I can find the PDF manual, I chunk the the manual. Um, I don't use it like for photographs, but we use it for like all of our travel related stuff. One of the things my uh, executive assistant does is that whenever I go on a trip, she prevents, uh, prepares something she calls a travel brief. And that has everything related to all the confirmation numbers, directions, um, features of hotels that I might want to use, all that kind of stuff, all the research behind it. So we use it for that kind of stuff. We use it for uh, show prep for video shoots just anything that is text-based or I guess image-based too. Yeah. Now, are you using Evernote just for you or are you also using it? Um, cause there's an Evernote for business. Are you using it team-wide? We, we don't use Evernote for business. You know, if you backed me into a corner and said, what's the distinction between that and the other versions, I couldn't tell you. You know, I, I know for a while we tried to use work chat and, are you familiar with WorkChat? Have you heard of WorkChat? No, sorry. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, and that was just, that was horrible. You know, that was... Yes, it is. It was not implemented well. So, but it sounds like you are using it collaboratively, no matter which label you're putting on it. I mean, everybody's getting, or the right people are getting access to the notes that they need. Totally. Yep. And we, and we do use it, uh, do use it company-wide. And we've, you know, we've been tempted from time to time to look at other things. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bear. In fact, I think you guys talked about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It is. It's, and it's promising. You know, I, I think there's a lot of cool things. I love multi-markdown and I write everything in multi-markdown. So I love that feature of it. But you can't have two notes open at one time. So that to me is a non-starter. You can't share a URL to a specific note like you can with Evernote. So to me, that's a non-starter. So, you know, maybe they'll get there, but it, it definitely is beautiful. Well, it just... It feels to me like in general, like we've been kind of dancing around this the whole 
interview, but you know, Google Docs versus Dropbox, Bear versus Evernote versus Apple Notes versus whatever, all these are kind of circling each other. And as the web services get easier to implement, it's it's easier for companies to have a similar feature set. And then it comes down to who makes it beautiful and stable, which you you know, that's an important thing, as you said earlier. So you can really get the right vendor for whatever it is that you need. Well, that's right. And, you know, like one of the things that I really believe strongly in is paying for software. Like when Evernote raised their prices last year and a lot of people went crazy, I thought to myself, um, I'm glad they did. I want their company to be around for a while. And, you know, the time people take to complain about the price hike is time they would have been you know, better spent doing something else. I mean, it's just not, it's, it's unbelievable to me that people complain about that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I realize that, you know, it's probably, I'm speaking from a place of privilege, but um, I, I just think that, that companies can go and have gone broke using sort of the free model and catering to the people that don't want to pay for anything. And I'm happy yeah. for those companies that do charge. Yeah. Well, it seems like so many people just, the, the, the barrier is to entry. Nobody wants to pay anything. For app, you know, just if it's ninety nine cents, it's too much. Let me go find a, a free alternative, and uh, that you know, I, Evernote just can't help. But they do offer a free version, but you know, if that's your argument, is I don't want to pay anything for it. Well, that's an argument I just have a hard time listening to. Yeah, quick word story. I was in a meeting yesterday with a um, an attorney who specializes in in significant acquisitions. Guy uh, does well, <laughs> and started talking to him about a podcast. He'd never listened to podcasts, and he wanted me to you know, get him on a podcast. And of course he's got an Android phone. And the, um, so we look at the pod, the app to, to buy him a pod catcher. And I see pocket cast is in there. I'm like, Oh, I know those guys. That's a good app. You should get that. And he's like, Oh no, 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 that's, that's $3. <laughs> and so instead he refuses to buy the $3 one, even though he makes $3 and as long as it takes him to say three, $3 <laughs> and the, um, and he said he bought this crazy one. And, and literally I, I, I was in a meeting about legal things and I watched him in the corner of the room and he spent the entire hour trying to get it was some free, you know, cheesy app trying to get this podcast downloaded because he wouldn't spend the $3 to get the one that just works. That is so crazy. I, you know, we have this policy in our company and, and it's basically that if you think you need software, you buy it and we'll reimburse it. No questions asked. And we don't put any limit on it. You know, we have said when we rolled it out, we said, now look, you know, if you're going to subscribe to a, a service that's going to be several thousand dollars a year, we probably we need to talk about that. But I'm, I mean, our people are smart and they're all bonused based on the performance of the company. So they're not going to do something stupid. Never had a problem with it. But we want people to have the best tools they can to be as efficient as they can. So they're not at work all the time. So they've got some margin in their lives and, and are living a balanced life. One more thing before we leave Evernote. I know that, talk just a little bit about how you organize Evernote, because I I know you've moved to a system where you've used to use a lot of notebooks and now not so much anymore. Yeah, I, I use almost exclusively tags. I have a few notebooks, but not very many. And the reason I do that is because you can have um, many to one. So for example, I, I found myself putting things in a notebook, but I found that that particular note actually applied to more than that one notebook. So then I was left with, you know, am I going to um, copy it into the other notebook or do I just use a tag? So that's taken out of the equation entirely. 
And so my system is based on a series of hierarchical tags. Now, unfortunately, the hierarchies don't sync on iOS devices, but they do beautifully on the desktop. And in speaking with some of the folks at Evernote recently, that's one of the things that they said they are going to bring to iOS is that um, hierarchy syncing kind of system. So I've, I've read a post on that that's been quite popular called How I Organize Evernote, and it goes through my whole tagging system and the hierarchies and how all that works. But it's really worked well for me. I want to take a moment and thank our good friends over at 1Password for their continued support of Mac Power users and talk to you a little bit about 1Password for families. So if you're listening to Mac Power users, you are probably the tech support of your family and you're probably the person who's responsible for all of your family passwords and making sure that your family stays safe online. And that is not an easy thing to do these days. But you know what can make it a lot easier is a 1Password for Family subscription. 1Password for Families is the 1Password manager that is ideal for your whole household. It starts at just $4.99 a month for a family of five, and it includes access to unlimited passwords, credit cards, secure notes, and a whole lot more, including one gigabyte of secure document storage. And of course, it includes all of 1Password's award-winning apps for Mac, iOS, Windows, Android, and they're super fast, super helpful, and efficient 24-7 email support. 1Password for Families is like your family's safe deposit box, but with a digital key that you happen to hold. It is the easiest and safest way to share your family passwords, credit cards, information, and anything else that is too important to email around. It helps your family practice smart online security practices by generating strong, unique passwords for all of your online accounts. And it remembers everything for you. It keeps it safe online automatically and allows you to easily sign into your favorite sites with just a single click using their web browser integration. No more writing things down on sticky notes. And you decide who to share your information with and what they can do with it. Because 1Password knows that maybe not everything needs to be shared with the whole family. So personal vaults let everyone keep their own private passwords and documents managed under a single subscription, but yet certain documents can be shared with the entire family. With 1Password for Families, you get password for the entire family. Up to five people can join and have individual accounts on one single subscription. You get access to 1Password on the go. You can sign into your account, view and edit items and manage them from any web browser. More importantly, you get access to all of the award-winning 1Password apps. And as long as your subscription remains in place, you're going to get the full and latest versions of all of their apps. You are always going to be up to date with all of the latest versions of 1Password. You get up to a gigabyte of secure encrypted storage for your documents, seamless sync with 1Password sync service, Item history backup, so means you can go back up to a full year and recover passwords, stellar customer service, and their watchtower service, which will allow around-the-clock alerts whenever there are security breaches for services and sites that your family uses. For more information or to get started with the free trial, head over to onepassword.com slash MPU and make sure that MPU is all caps and get started today. Thanks, OnePassword, for your kind support of the show. Well, before we let you go, Michael, I definitely want to talk about your upcoming Free to Focus course that is launching pretty soon after we release this podcast. So tell us a little bit about that course, who it's right for, and kind of what you're doing with it. Yeah, the course is called Free to Focus, Achieve More by Doing Less. And it really gets back to what we've been talking about, and that is having a vision for productivity and where productivity goes. And for for us, my perspective is, that freedom is the goal of productivity. 
You know, you're not being productive so that you can be more productive or even so that you can make more money or do more of whatever you do at work. I mean, all that has its place. And I love work as much as the next guy. But what I'm really after is freedom. You know, I want the freedom to be able to focus on the projects, the relationships, the commitments that matter most. I want the freedom to be spontaneous so that um, in my case, if the grandkids come over, I'm not so burdened with work uh, commitments that I can't stop and really pay attention to people that really mean a lot to me. I also want the the freedom to be fully present so that if I'm having dinner, like I'm going out to dinner tonight with my daughter and her boyfriend, that I'm not constantly checking my device or 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 wondering what's happening at work. I want to be fully present with her. And that's what that course is really designed to do. And it's it all revolves around three modules. And the modules, I think somewhat surprisingly, the first one is stop. And it's all about um, asking you to formulate a vision for your productive future. You know, what is it that you'd really like to achieve in terms of your lifestyle design? And then after formulates, evaluate, you know, where am I today? And we have a really cool productivity assessment that allows you to take inventory and see where you're at in terms of or in relationship to where you want to be. And then rejuvenate. You know, so much of being productive is not about time management. It's about energy management. And when we get that component right, we're getting adequate rest, we're getting recreation and play and all those kinds of things. Then we can be hyper productive when we're really at the office and focused on work. So that's the cut module or excuse me, that's a stop module. The second module is called cut. And that's about and this is a framework I think maybe Tim Harris, came, uh, Tim Ferriss came up with initially, and that's to eliminate and then to automate, and then to delegate based on that freedom compass. So what are the things that I hate or I'm not good at? How can I get rid of that stuff? And that whole second module talks about that. And then the third module is really about activating or going. And now we talk about things like intentional procrastination, like not everything is important today, maybe important tomorrow, maybe important next week, but it's not important today. And that's how people get overwhelmed when everything is urgent now. And then we talk about uh, from their consolidation, putting, you know, batching things together. And then the final thing is about designing, activate is about designing your ideal day. What would that look like? And so many people, I just got to say this, so many people, they set themselves up from failure for failure at the get-go. They design a game they can't win. So they end up with a task list that's got 20 things. They end up getting 10 or 12 of them done. And they still feel like a failure because they've got eight or 10 that didn't get finished. So they wake up in the morning and feel overwhelmed because the task list is so big. They go to bed at night feeling like they didn't get everything done and they feel defeated. And they repeat this cycle over and over again. And we want to help people get out of that doom loop to where they've got a manageable schedule with a manageable list of tasks and where they're really loving life and work again. Now, are, is this going to be a video course or written materials? How, how does it get delivered? Yeah, great question. It's um, it's actually both. So every one of those lessons, there are nine lessons around those three modules. Each one of those has a video component, and then there's also a written component, and then a ton of tools uh, that we use, like the Freedom Compass, the Productivity Flywheel, the Ideal Week, the Blueprint for a, a Perfect Day. So those are different tools that that show up as you're going through each one of those lessons. I think it's so timely because I I can tell you just from from our show. We hear from a lot of people that have exactly that despair you were talking about. And and I've always, the nerd geek side of me has always been, well, you've just got too much on your plate and, and it's really hard, but you have to 
you have to be realistic about what you can do. But I think you, you've taken a much more analytical and probably a, a healthy approach to it to explain to people how to get out of that, because I know people are suffering. Well, I think you guys would love it. I'm going to, I'm going to comp you both into it and I'd love to get your, your feedback. We're, um, we introduced it this last fall for the first time. And so now we just did a live version of it last week in Nashville. That was really fun. Got some tremendous feedback from people. And, uh, so then we're about to launch it again. So we, we it's kind of how we work. We launch products, open registration for a couple of weeks, and then we shut it down for several months. Well, I think that, you know, the, the, the upper level for us Mac power users is not only get really good at these software tools, but find a way to use them that makes sense and not use them to build a, yourself into a prison. And, uh, unfortunately that's so easy to do. So, so gang, go check out Michael's course and, and see if it can't help you out a little bit. So where do they go to do that? Yeah, I was just going to say, you can go to freetofocus.com. Awesome. And are you currently, because I just hopped over there, um, and I know we're pre-recording the show a little bit, and so it'll come out closer to the, the time that the, the course is going to launch. Are, are you going to be accepting um, new members? Is there How does that process yes. work? Do they sign up? Okay, great. Yeah, so right, so right now, if you go to that uh, link, if it's before we've opened registration, it'll just be join the wait list, and then we'll notify you when we've opened it again. But we do that for a couple of reasons. One, so that we can really focus on our students and not be constantly promoting. And also, we know how deadlines drive decisions. And, it's true. you know, people just procrastinate and procrastinate if they can get it anytime they want. So we try to keep that from happening. Awesome. Well, and then you've got a ton of other resources of, available on your website. I know I've really been enjoying your podcast, which we were mentioning before the show. Um, and uh, you, I subscribe to your blog through my RSS feed. Tell us a little bit about um, what's available and, and where people can find you. Well, the best place, the central hub is michaelhyatt.com and you'll find a link to the podcast there and to all my products. Um, in addition to the free to focus course, I have another course. This registration is only open once a year and unfortunately it's not open now, but it's called five days to your best year ever. And it's kind of the goal setting course, uh, that you wished you would have had probably 20 years ago, but it's all based on science, based on the latest research and goal setting. And we've had extraordinary, uh, results with that. We've had over 25,000, uh, students go through that course and there's more about that at bestyourever.me. And then I've got um, Platform University, which is my membership site where we teach people how to build online platforms. And that's a lot of fun. But my whole business at this point is online. It's amazing that you can do that now, isn't it, David? Yeah, I, it really is a, a blessing. I, I um, When I was a kid, media was still in control of three networks. And now I, I basically publish a newspaper and books and a radio show. And I'm just a guy sitting at his house in Southern California. So you're your own network too. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, this has been truly one of my favorite shows that we've done. I've, I've loved listening to you. I enjoy reading your content uh, when it comes out. And we're just thrilled to have you on the show. And I got quite a giggle when you, I think you sent me a tweet. And I was like, wow, he, he, number one, he knows who I am and he listens to the show. So thank you so much. It, it's been a privilege. Well, thank you. And thank you for what you do. I love your show. And it's just kind of like my guilty pleasure. It's where I go to geek out. Awesome. Well, be sure to check out Michael over at michaelhyatt.com. The Free to Focus course is going to be opening up registration soon. And we'll have links to all of the other great stuff that we talked about in our show notes, which you can find over at relay.fm slash MPU. 
Thanks to our sponsors this episode. That's going to be Smile, Pixelmator, Squarespace, and 1Password. And we will see you all next time. Bye.